0: Father in heaven, this is your word. Uh, My words don't matter much at all unless they are an echo of your word. And this is your word, though, and we just open it up this morning, and we want you to speak to us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be here and be pleased to breathe on the message this morning and make it live in us, make it real to us. I pray that you would be glorified today, Jesus. I pray that you'd be lifted high. Even as we talk about parenting, I pray that you would be the main attraction this morning. You'd be lifted high. You would be seen and loved and worshipped and trusted this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've talked about marriage the last four weeks. This morning, we're going to turn our attention to parenting. And I don't know about you, but I think parenting is a glorious and daunting privilege it is a it is an amazing privilege but it is very daunting as well um there there i mean parenting makes me so full of joy at times and yet there may not be anything like parenting that brings me to my knees uh, and literally a week ago i was on my knees uh, asking the Lord for wisdom and help, just in 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 just being a dad, the kind of dad I need to be. And so this morning we're gonna we're gonna tackle this. We're gonna talk about parenting. We're and I'm gonna focus mainly on verse four because I think verses one to three, the obedience of children, is re, we want to require this as parents, but I think it it flows from uh, fathers specifically, but moms and dads raising their kids in the, the instruction and discipline of the Lord. As we were singing uh, the song, Jesus Paid It All, which probably is one of my favorite songs that we sing, uh, it just, I just was struck with the fact that isn't it encouraging that Jesus pays for all of our shortcomings and sins as parents? <laughs> I mean, just take parenting alone. If anyone, If all of us here stood before Christ today... And we were judged based on our parenting. We all would fail. But Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, and he washed it all away and made us white as snow. So I am so glad uh, for that. Um, No doubt all of us here could recount our failures, our shortcomings. Uh, The Lord wants us to be washed in his blood this morning, looking to Christ, made righteous through him, and he wants to encourage us this morning. He wants to take us where we are, not where we should be, but where we are, and take us where he wants us to be. Uh, there may be some here today who might think, well, this doesn't have anything to do with me. I don't have any kids in the home anymore. You're wrong, or I don't have kids yet. You're wrong. Let's address em- empty nesters here. Raise your hands if you're an empty nester. There's some here, of course. Okay. Uh, You are a parent until the day that your children die. Of course, your responsibility and roles in their life will change as they get older. But you are still a mom or a dad to them and will be, for Lord willing, a lot longer and have influence in their lives. But also, I want to encourage us to have a kind of culture here in Real Life Church where we all see ourselves in a spiritual sense as mothers and fathers of kids around us, of all the kids here. That we are not, not their biological mom and dad, not, not that they obey us the way that they would obey their, their own mother and father, but that we have this spiritual concern for them like a mother or a father would. <clears throat> I find it incredibly interesting. I don't know if you do or not. Um, the author of this passage, as well as the previous passage on marriage, the Apostle Paul, he wrote I mean, a marriage that might be the most important passage in the Bible. I think it may be Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. And he writes this passage, which is incredibly important on parenting. And he was a guy who had never been married before and never raised any kids. Isn't that amazing? We oftentimes think, you know, get me in front of an expert who can tell me who's been through the trenches, who knows what they're talking about. Well Paul was not an expert marriage counselor. He wasn't. And Paul was not an experienced seasoned father. He wasn't with his own children. But he had something he had something more important. He possessed something more important. He had revelation from God. He had God's word. And that's what we have this morning. You see, we get into trouble when we assume that we need more than what God says. We do. We just get in, into big trouble. I do this. You probably do it too. When we think, well, that sounds overly simplistic, I need to talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about. I need to talk to somebody who can give me some tips and advice on how to do this. And of course, I am not uh, disparaging uh, professional uh, Biblical marriage counselors or uh, people that are really good with children, who have had children and gone through uh, child rearing, that is fantastic. But only if they are echoing what God says. Only if, they're an e- only if they're echoing what God's word tells us. So, God wants to talk to us. It's God talking to us, but he used a human author who had never been married never had children, and he knew what he was doing. Let me ask you a question. What is your goal for your kids? If you have one child, if you have multiple children, what is your goal for them? For some, it is that they would succeed in sports. I grew up here in Ankeny. I mean, I lived here since I was eight or, or seven, I think. And it's always been a sports town. It is insane now. It's crazy. Is it, is it that they would succeed in sports? Some would say, no, It's you want them to excel in academics. Some might be thinking, listen, I'm not going there. I'm just, I'm just trying to think of how I can get through this day with all my kids still alive and my own sanity. Or how I'm going to get through this next week, right? With all of the things that you have to do. Some would say that their goal is... For their kids, it's college, so they can get a good job. They have opportunities in order to get ahead in the world. And for others, it's just that their kids would keep their nose clean and stay out of trouble. And all of these can be noble goals in their own place. if They, they have a place, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with wanting your kids to excel in sports or academics or anything. But these things can never, ever be the ultimate goal. They can't. None of them can be the ultimate goal. They are way too small, way too insignificant to be the main thing. Do you know what God's goal is for your child? God's, go- God's goal, God's aim for your child is that you would raise them to be a disciple of Jesus. It's that you would raise them to be Follow, a follower of Jesus Christ or followers of Jesus Christ. From the very beginning, God's design was that the world would be filled with his glory as more and more image bearers were born, right? In Genesis 1.28, after God made male and female in his image, in verse 27, verse 28, it says, Be fruitful and multi- multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over everything on the earth. The point for God was not that the earth would just be filled with more bodies, more physical bodies to take up space. It was that the the earth would be filled with worshipers of God, image bearers of God, who would give him glory. So that, that was God's goal. Fill the earth with my glory. Fill the earth with my glory, as more and more people would fill the earth. But when Adam fell... Though God's image was not stamped out completely, it was severely marred. And now each and every child, your beloved little child, or the one that's on the way, they are born a sinner and a rebel against God. I think we need a better understanding of this, of original sin and of our depravity that we are born with. I mean, I was there for each one of my children's birth. It was precious, amazing. I didn't look down at that little child with any disdain at all. They were amazing. But we need to know that each and every child is born a rebel against God. They are not neutral. They are sinful. David says this in Psalm 51.5. He says, in sin I was conceived. In sin I was conceived. So our children need to be brought from there to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Parents, this is your mandate. This is our mandate. Not just to make them nice and conform to a certain kind of standard. It is to make them disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you feel this, but this is is a supernatural thing. Right? If they are born a certain way, bent towards sin and rebelling against God... And we are to take them from there to being passionate, loving disciples of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that feels overwhelming to me if I just think I only have my resources to do that with. This is a supernatural thing that we are called to. So, that's what our passage unpacks for us this morning. Like I said, I'm going to spend most of our remaining time on verse 4. So let's read verse 4 again. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Notice how Paul calls out fathers. Paul is calling us out, men. He is calling us out, dads, to be the kind of men that God has called us to be. We saw from the previous passage that men are given this role of headship in the marriage, right? As Christ is the head of the church. And we also see here that men are given the headship role in the family unit. So men are called out here. You might say, what about moms? Oftentimes it is the mother who day after day after day for many hours throughout the day without the dad even being around is raising these children, Well, back in verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. So it's not that mothers don't have a role. They have a huge role. I take it to mean that raising disciples of Jesus is the job of both mom and dad. But dad must take the lead. Now some might say, well, "My husband is my, my husband's a wall." God can give incredible grace and strength in situations like that. Some might say, "I'm raising my children on my own. Dad's not even in the picture." God can provide in unbelievable ways in circumstances like that. I think of uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter. Um, I think it's chapter one. Paul is reminding. His readers are reminding Timothy of the faith that Timothy had. And it was a faith that was first in his mother and also in his grandmother. It doesn't say anything about his dad. More than likely, his dad was, was not in, didn't have any impact on his life, at least spiritually, and may not have even been around. And Timothy grew up to be a mighty disciple of Christ and did amazing things for his name. But men must take the lead. Husbands must take the lead. Dads must take the lead. And I want us to, Dads, I want you and I to feel the weight of this in a significant way. You and I will stand before Christ someday. We will stand before Jesus Christ someday and give an answer to him on how we managed our homes. This is a serious and a glorious calling. One that we shouldn't take lightly, one that we should tremble at and call out to God from the depth of our soul. Oh, God, help me to do this because I feel I, I feel this way. Sometimes I feel so inept. I feel like I don't have a clue. We need God's help. So parents, especially dads, here's what it says. Don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Why does Paul go here? Why does Paul say, don't drive your kids to anger? Don't provoke them. Don't push them to anger. You know, I could, I could think of some other things I would put here. Like, don't do this, but rather do this. Right? Don't pamper your kids. Right? You might think of some other things. Don't do these things. Paul says, This one thing. Don't provoke them to anger. He probably says this because anger arises from the impulse, the natural impulse in every child to resist authority. Anger arises from the natural impulse in every child to resist authority. The most natural response to authority prior to coming to Christ is to resist it and even sometimes afterwards. Dad and mom represent an authority and the child wants to be free from their leadership in her life, right? Mom and dad represent this authority and and children want to buck that. So here's how this works out. Here's what this looks like. The one-year-old resists authority by saying at a very early age, no, right? That happened in your house too? Is there a house that hasn't happened in? that's got to be the first word they ever learn, is no. And they say it looking right in your face. Right? The toddler resists authority by throwing a temper tantrum. The 10-year-old resists authority by turning around and stomping off. And the teenager by slamming doors or silent treatment or other things. So we as parents are told to not provoke or push our kids toward this, right? That's, that's their natural response to authority is to do that, and we are told to not provoke it, to not push them, to not help them along the way. So I, early in the week, I was like, well, of course. Later in the week, I started to realize I guess I probably do that. I guess there's probably ways I do provoke my children to anger. Apparently, we can and actually do this at times. Check this out things like yelling at your kids, if that happens, provokes them to anger. Lots of sarcasm provokes them to anger. Verbal put-downs provoke our kids to anger. I'm challenged with this. Excessive discipline, right? Your kid just does something, you're like, all right, you were grounded for three years. That's it. No TV till you're 18. (laughs) It drives them to anger. Anger. Nagging, lecturing, God help me. My dad was a lecturer and so am I. I'm I'm working on it. And other things like this. We don't want to do this. We don't want to do this. You know, this is the kind of behavior. Remember back in Ephesians 4, like verses 22 to 25 or verses 22 to 24, where we're to put off the old self? These are the things we're to put off right? Provoking our kids to anger, we need to put that off, and we are to put on another set of parenting clothes. We're to put off the old filthy garments of provoking our children to anger, and we are to put on the new clothes of bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's interesting how he says, don't provoke your kids to anger, But, contrast that with, or instead, or rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The words bring up means to nourish, means to nourish, or nurture, or to bring to maturity. Isn't that that so different from the kind of relationship where we are poking and prodding and provoking our kids to anger. It's to nourish them. It's to nurture them. It's to bring them to maturity. In fact, it's the same Greek word that was used just a few verses earlier in Ephesians 5:29 when it says that Christ nourishes the church, his bride. It's the only two places you, that this word is used in the New Testament is here, is in Ephesians 5:29, where it says Christ nourishes. His bride, the church, and parents or fathers are to nourish and bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is a, this is a precious word. This is a word that needs to land on us in a deep and profound way that we are, we are nourishers. We are not demanders. Sometimes we're sitting around the dinner table and I feel like I'm just demanding. My kids, stop doing that. Don't say that. Be nice to your sister. Uh, 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 uh. There's times to do that, of course, to tell our kids things, to give them requirements, but we want to we want an atmosphere of nourishing our children, nurturing and bringing them up. So parents are to nourish their children, to bring them up to nurture to nurture them to maturity as a follower of Jesus Christ. Even the phrase "empty nester," okay, someone. 45, 50, or older that have children that are out of the house. They are called empty nesters. It's a very fitting description of parents who have children out of the home. It's not that they don't still have impact in their kids' lives. They certainly do. But what is a... I mean, it gives this idea or this picture of children are... When they're young, they're like in their parents' nest, right? Like a mother, bird feeding their kids providing the nest for them, protection, provision, everything for them. And when the child is ready, when the bird, excuse me, is ready to get out of the nest and fly on their own and make their own nest and get their own food, they will. And that's what we want to do with our kids. We want to raise them. We want to nurture them. We want to protect them. We want to provide for them. We want to teach them. We want to instruct them. We want to give them lessons on how to do things on their own. And we want to send them out prepared As a disciple of Christ. So we are not just demanders. Parenting in a totalitarian sort of way. And I do this. Sometimes. Is what we're called to put off. And put down. We want to bring them up. We want to nurture them. Here's what this looks like. I have six things. Here's what it looks like. First, we want to show God to our kids. Second, we want to tell them the gospel again and again and again. Third, we want to require and model obedience. Fourth, we want to teach them to love God's word. Fifth, we want to tell them amazing stories. And I'll explain that later. And sixth, we want to pray for them. Let's take those one at a time. First, we want to show God to our children, the fundamental task for parents, especially of young kids, is to point them to God, is to show them what God is like. Your kids will see and know you before they see and know God, right? I mean, they will know about him in some kind of indirect way, I suppose, but they will see and know you and learn from you what God is like. And this should make each one of us desperate. I mean, absolutely desperate for God-like transformation in our lives. I mean, if they're going to learn about God from us fundamentally, we should want to be like God, right? We should want to be like him. Your kids experience authority in your home, whatever that looks like in your home. They experience justice in your home. They experience love in your home. They experience anger in your home. And they experience mercy and other things. They will see in dad strength that protects and provides for them, or they won't. They will see in mom nurturing, love, and tender care, or they won't. The question is this. Will they be able to recognize God for who he is because they saw mom and dad in their home act a certain way? Will they be able to recognize God Because they saw mom and dad in the home exhibiting certain qualities or will there be extra barriers to overcome? Here, Ephesians uh, 4.31 through chapter five, verse one says this. Let all bitterness, listen to this parents. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another as god in christ forgave you verse chapter 5 verse 1 says this therefore be imitators of god put away anger and slander and malice and bitterness forgive just as god has forgiven you in christ And by so doing, be an imitator of God. Imitate God in your home. Imitate him in your home so that your children will be able to recognize him. So they'll see in you something of the love and mercy of God. They'll see in you something of the justice of God, something of the authority of God. Show God to your kids. Number two, tell your kids the gospel again and again and again. Every child, you are this way and so was I, are born legalists and moralists. And if we are not careful, our houses will be all law and no gospel. It will just be all rules and no mercy and no. And no grace. Your kids need to hear and connect with the gospel over and over and over again. And you know what? So do you and so do I. It's not just our kids, but we need it too. Never assume that your kids' lives are immersed in the grace of Jesus Christ just because they pray to prayer or can tell you that Jesus died for their sins. I heard somebody one time say, I can't remember where I, where I, where I picked this up. But he said, um, there's a gradual slide away from strong, convictional faith in Christ. And it goes this way. The one generation is, has conviction of truth. Another generation assumes the truth. And the third generation denies the truth. Okay? Never assume that your kids understand the gospel but just because or really are immersed in the gospel and really know it in the depth of their heart just because they prayed a prayer or can recite the most rudimentary terms of the gospel. That's important. That's massive. That's huge. But we want to keep telling them over and over again about Christ. Martin Luther, um, amazing guy, very interesting man the reformer in Germany, in his commentary on Galatians said this, we need to know the gospel well. So I would say, he's talking to us parents here. I'm applying it to us parents. We need to know the gospel well. We need to teach it to others. And we need to beat it into their heads continually. I heard uh, one time somebody um, taking this quote from Martin Luther and saying, it's kind of like one of those old pot machines you put a quarter in. Or maybe like an old candy machine. And you gotta like you gotta like beat the side of the, the the machine for the quarter to slide down where it needs to go so the pop comes out. We all need, and our kids need this too, to have the gospel beat into our heads so it makes its way down into our heart. Your kids need to have the gospel beat into their heads. Don't be violent about this, okay? I'm not not promoting that at all. Um, don't hit them with your Bible, okay? That's not what we're going for. Uh, but we need our, we need the go- they need the gospel beat into their heads until it makes its way down into their heart and begins to change them from the inside out. Here's how this works. Your kids sin, don't they? And so do you, don't you? When there is sin, and there will be, probably every day, it's a perfect opportunity to talk about the sinfulness of sin and God's abounding grace in Christ. Over and over again. I mean, there are so many, you know that little phrase? I don't like this phrase, but I'm going to use it. Teachable moments? They're all over the place. I mean, our house sometimes is a place where sin abounds. And where sin abounds, God's grace abounds even more through Christ. So there are tons of opportunities every day to bring your kids face-to-face with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So tell your kids the gospel again and again and again. Number three, require and model obedience. Verse one says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is a command to your kids And you, as a parent, should require that they obey. But what does obedience look like? Your your kids learn by imitation, don't they? I mean, every kid learns by by imitation. I mean, our Silas picks up stuff from six other people in our home. (laughs) Some great stuff, and some stuff that's not so great. And I'm not just picking on my kids. From me too. They learn by imitation. So model for them what obedience looks like. You as a mom and dad. Dad's taking the lead. You must model for them. You must show them what obedience looks like. Okay? You want your kids to be submissive to you? Of course you do. Show them what submissive So show them what submission to authority looks like, because you're under authority too. Wives to your husbands, all of us to Christ. So many of you to a boss or whatever. If dads, if you come home and are griping about your boss, don't be surprised if your children learn to be unsubmissive to you. Okay, wives, if your kids see you, you know, just laying into your husband, don't be surprised if they don't respect your authority. If we want them to be submissive. We must show them what it looks like. We want our kids to be thankful. Show them. Show them what it looks like to be thankful. We want, you want your kids to love Jesus? Show them what love for Jesus looks like. Model it for them. You want your kids to respect others, have respect for others? Show them what that looks like. You want your kids to respond a certain way when they're mistreated, right? Like a classmate or someone out at the playground or a sibling. You want them to respond a certain kind of way instead of a a sinful way. Show them how to do it when you're mistreated. You want them to be forgiving? There are daily, there there are many times in our home probably every day, where forgiveness is required. Siblings are fighting. Someone takes something from somebody else. Somebody gets hit or whatever. Somebody gets stepped on, something, okay? We need to show them what forgiveness looks like. We must. Otherwise, we are bearing false witness to them. We are telling them, you must do this. And they are seeing something so contrary to that from their mom and dad. So we must require and model obedience. Number four, teach your kids to love God's word. It's easier when it's at a young age, right? I mean, it's, it's easier at a young age when they can just kind of, it's something that they catch from you instead of something you're trying to do when they're 17. Um, but either way, Either way, if you're a late bloomer with your kids, teach them to love God's word. How is it that sons often love the same sports team as their dads do? Right? Football season comes around. I'm a Bears fan. We don't have jer- I have I have a jersey. We don't have one for Silas yet, but I'm sure this is true in your homes. All right, if you're football fans, you and your son get your jerseys on together and sit down and watch the game. Why is that? Because. Little Tommy sees that dad is a Bears fan and loves to watch them, and so he wants to do the same thing, right? In a similar way, teach them to love God's word. Show them how important this book is. Let them see you with it open, reading it. Read it to them, right? Especially when your kids are young, you have incredible influence over their lives. Listen to what Deuteronomy 6, 4-9 says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Verse 6, and these words that I command you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The things that you talk about, the things that inform your life are the things that your kids are going to see you value very highly. And Deuteronomy 6 says, talk about these things with your kids all the time. When you're walking down the road, when they rise up in the morning around the breakfast table, when they're laying down at night, be telling them, opening up the Bible, letting, letting them see you having it open, reading it to them, connect them, teach them to love the scriptures. Number five, tell them stories. <clears throat> Not just any story. My kids like when I tell them stories of when I was a little kid, and I don't remember a lot of them, so I kind of tell the same ones over and over again. But I like to tell them other stories too. Psalm 78, verses 5 through 8 says this, God established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Psalm 78 is a, it's an entire Psalm where it talks about how the people of Israel, God had done such amazing things for them, brought them out of Egypt, provided for them, destroyed all the, 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 um, the peoples of the land of Canaan and they kept forgetting what he did. And so what we need to do is we need to tell our kids about the mighty acts of God in the Bible. We need to tell them, we need to connect them with the God of David and Daniel and Deborah and many others. We need to tell them, this is our God. These are our stories. We also need to tell them stories of God's work in history. We need to instill in them that God is still working. It's not just that the Bible, you know, we get to the book of Revelation and then all we have is to look back at the Bible to see what God has done. No, we have many stories. We have such a heritage as believers in Christ. I have this book that I was given as a as a gift. It's um, it's called the One Year Christian History Book. It's kind of I think the the subtitle is something like the a daily glimpse at the mighty acts of God. And every day of the year, it connects me, as I read it most days, not every day, with that date, at some point in history, God did something amazing. right? And what I've been doing lately is I pull that out every once in a while. When when there seems to be a story that really, I think, would connect with my kids, I'll tell them. I'll say, listen to this. This is an amazing story. This is part of our history. This is our story. These are our people. For instance, like, I think it was maybe three weeks ago on a Sunday um, was the 188th anniversary of slavery being abolished in England. And it was just three days before William Wilberforce died, which I thought was such an amazing thing. I mean, I, I had to tell my kids that story. So we need to connect them and tell them stories. We need to read to our kids. We need to read to our kids around the table, before they go to bed. Connect them with amazing stories of God's great, powerful works in history. And number six, we need to pray for our kids. I put this last, not because it's least important. Um, it's probably most important. But it might be the thing that we do last. Where we plead with God. I mean, let's just think about what's at stake with our children. They are born rebels against God. Unless they come to faith in Jesus, they will remain rebels against God. They will stand before Christ someday as rebels against God and they will suffer the eternal consequences of rebelling against God their whole lives. We need to plead with God that our kids would be saved. We need to plead with God that he would move in their rebellious hearts and awaken them to the beauty and glory of Christ. We need to plead with God that he would take them from being rebels to being lovers of Christ. We need to bathe our kids and nourish our kids in our prayers. We can do all the other things, one through five, All all the other things I've laid out here. We can do all of them and if God does not awaken their hearts to his son, Jesus Christ, they will remain rebels. We should shower all of our parenting responsibilities, everything we do, everything we do from modeling for them and showing them Christ and telling them the gospel, we should shower everything we do with prayer that God would awaken them and breathe on them and send his fire upon, their, upon our efforts. Pray for them to be saved. Um, For my children, that is that probably, these are probably the, 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 the things I pray the most. That they would be saved. That they would learn to love Jesus from their hearts. And that God would use them to do great things for his name. And those are the things I long for. First to be saved, of course, to know Christ. Then to truly love him. And then that God would be pleased to to use them to do great things. So pray for your kids. So where, where do you start? Where do you start? Where do we go from here? Before you leave today, some of you might be feeling discouraged or even feel like you failed. And I go back to what I said at the very beginning. All of us, I mean, Psalm 130, 130 maybe, says, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sin, who could stand? If God kept a record of our sins, In parenting, who could stand? Not one of us. But with him, there's forgiveness and there's freedom and there's a new start. There there are new mercies every single day. The steadfast love of the Lord is everlasting. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every single morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. So where do we start? Well, we start the only place we can start. Right here and right now. Where else can we go, right? We just start right here, right now, right where we are. All of us have room to grow. All of us have a place to go. But there may be some here today who need to get serious themselves about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You cannot give what you don't have. You can't give the kind of love and nurture, the kind of model to be a disciple of Jesus if you yourselves don't know that and don't have it and aren't living it. So there are some here today who just need to bow the knee to Christ in humble submission and say, your way, not my way, any longer. There's a way that seems right to a man, and it leads to destruction. It leads to destruction. It leads to ruin. But the paths of God are sweet. They're challenging and they're difficult, but they are sweet because they're filled with him, and they're filled with joy in him. God has assigned you to raise disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and he has not assigned anybody else to raise your children to be disciples of Christ. There is nobody else God expects to raise your kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But here's the amazing thing. Here's encouragement. There is nobody who is better suited to raise your kids than you. (laughs) There's nobody better suited to raise your kids than you. God has entrusted them to you. The best parent in the room, if you don't think it's you, are not better suited to raise your kids. It is your responsibility. It is your privilege. And the God of heaven will supernaturally enable you to do it. As you open up your heart, submit to him, call out to him for help. Give yourself to this amazing responsibility. I mean, is there anything... When we think seriously about life and what it's all about, is there anything more important that you could give yourself to with all of your heart than raising your kids to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, to make impact for Christ's sake and Christ's name in the world? Is there anything more important? I mean, is your job more important? It's not. Are your hobbies more important? Your favorite television show is more important? Making money, is that more important? None of it. It's all going to be gone. This is a glorious calling. It is a daunting one, but it is glorious. Let's pray that God would help. Father in heaven, we. God, I just, I I raise my hands to you, and I say, God, I need your help. I feel so inadequate with my children. My four, I have a four-year-old and a 15-year-old, and a, a few in between, and I just sometimes don't know what I'm doing. Um, but I want to. I'm willing. This is a amazing, an amazing calling God you have given to moms and dads to raise kids, to take these little people made in your image, they have your stamp upon them, and to take them from the moment they come out of the womb. And as long as you give them to us to raise them and nurture them and love them and care for them and discipline them and all these things, and By your grace and with your power, your enablement, see them come to know Christ and love Jesus as their own Savior and Lord and walk with him and be a disciple of his. God, I believe, God, I believe I'm not the only one that needs help here. And so I pray for my brothers and my sisters here who feel the same way as I do, just desperate to be changed into your image so we can model and show our kids Christ. Desperate, God, for your power to speak into our kids' lives in a way that makes impact. Power, God, to exhibit for them things like self-control and forgiveness and kind speech and trusting in you when things don't look like they're going to pan out. All of these things we need help with. And so, God, I just ask for your help. I ask for your spirit to descend upon us. That we would be sent out of here uh, with a a deep sense of seriousness about this task. With a deep sense of, I'm going to take up this responsibility and go for it. And with deep encouragement in your spirit that you are with us and you will empower us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.